This episode of Life Accelerated is brought to you by Equisoft, a leading global provider of end-to-end cloud-based solutions with deep domain expertise in the life insurance industry. To learn more, visit Equisoft.com. I'm Anthony O'Donnell, and this is Life Accelerated, a podcast for life insurers striving to achieve digital transformation. In this episode of Life Accelerated, we speak with Joel Albarella, founder of New York Life Ventures, the venture capital branch of New York Life that is investing in emerging technologies with the aim of dramatically impacting the future of financial services. New York Life is a 177-year-old mutual insurance company, older than the dollar bill, is actually the perfect place to do venture investing. The conversation with Joel makes a great follow-up from the last episode of Life Accelerated, where I spoke at the InsurTech Connect conference with Kim Fefner of Principal and Brian Poppy of Mutual of Omaha. In that conversation, we talked about the perspective gained since 2021, when we scarcely seem to have emerged from the pandemic. Joel gives a similar kind of perspective that builds on conversations he and I have had over the years, including one from December 2020. While new challenges have emerged in addition to COVID, Joel's perspective remains very optimistic. He stresses that venture investing operates on a longer timescale than the ups and downs of politics and the economy. In Joel's view, the best is yet to come in the insurtech space. In my conversation with Joel, we cover a variety of topics, including why now is the time for continued investment in emerging technologies, Joel's observation that the consensus about InsurTech is that it has become more about enabling than disrupting, and also his account of creating a culture of innovation within New York life. Really the most sustainable quote-unquote innovation is a deliberate evolution of how individuals that work for an organization make decisions. I'm excited for you to listen in on my conversation with Joel. Joel, tell us about New York Life Ventures and how you came to play the role you do. Why was New York Life Ventures founded? What was and is its purpose? Great, Anthony. Thank you very much. And great to be here with you on the Life Accelerated podcast. We were founded over 10 years ago. We actually just had our 10-year anniversary. And really, we were founded to help drive acceleration of innovation at New York Life. At the time, we were eyes wide open. We still are eyes wide open to the profound impact that technology is having in our daily lives as humans, but also what technology represents as a deep embedded opportunity for acceleration for large enterprises. Really, it was that insight 10 years ago that led us to found what is now New York Life Ventures. I founded the team back in 2012, and we were focused on driving both financial returns for the organization as well as strategic value. It's been a fun ride, and certainly there's been a lot of opportunity at the intersection of financial services broadly and technology, but certainly insurance and life insurance and technology over the years. Well, Joel, maybe you could elaborate a little bit on the strategic value. So on the one hand, you're a venture company within New York Life that's dedicated to profit, right, to making money. But you mentioned strategic value, and that's, I gather, about making sure that New York Life has access to innovative technologies that help it to meet its business objectives. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. If I think about how we operate, we call it our flywheel here internally. And it consists of, as you mentioned, we invest in startups, we invest in venture funds, we essentially represent the investment professionals that are responsible for New York Life's exposure into both the venture asset class as well as the growth equity asset class. And we do that via managing a direct fund as well as investing in some select venture funds. Importantly, connected at the hip to that effort is our strategic business development with the startup community. 
So what we do is we manage a very wide top of funnel, if you will, for interesting startups that don't necessarily need to be raising capital. They just need to be doing something that could help us as first and foremost, a very large organization that's been around for 177 years. In some ways, there's a lot of innovation to be had. There's a lot of value to be had from connecting with early stage companies that are actually have nothing to do with insurance per se. They're just involved in enterprise technology or they're involved in data and analytics or cybersecurity or cloud architecture, et cetera. So we have a firm belief that there's a lot of value to be had at that layer. And then obviously we're a financial services company and then also we're a life insurance company and we've started to see even more tailored fit for purpose innovation focused on our particular industry, which has been really, really great to see. You know, the coalescence of high talent and lots of capital to drive innovation for our industry, I think is awesome to see. And I think it's going to be an exciting next 10 years. So that's really the two main aspects of what we do. It's the investing, and then it's the driving that strategic value. There's lots of ways in which that comes together. I think a third element that we also have had a pretty profound impact internally is really on the cultural evolution. And we have a group that we call Innovation Services, which is really a teach-to-fish type philosophy around human-centered design and other elements of essentially driving more of a curious and growth mindset throughout the organization. And that's been great. So if you think about our kind of value creation here, it really goes across the spectrum from the very highly quantitative in the form of we're investing dollars and we're looking to manage against an expected return for those invested dollars. And we can measure that in a very quantitative way to driving the testing of the learning from and the using of technology in the form of partnerships with startups that can drive real tangible ROI to our businesses. And then on the other side of the spectrum, more of a longer term impact on cultural evolution in the face of a you know, rapidly digitizing landscape. The cultural evolution part is interesting. Is this teach to fish approach pushing a different way to source and consume technology innovation at New York Life? With InsureTech, we have seen for some time, right? This change from developing stuff in-house to essentially outsourcing innovation to entrepreneurs. And with your teach to fish idea, it seems like you're teaching your organization not just to innovate, but to source and consume innovation. I think the way you just articulated it there at the end makes a lot of sense, Anthony. I mean, I think taking a step back, the philosophy behind the teach to fish was really an acknowledgement in the early days that innovation is so enmeshed with the individuals that run an organization. That includes all levels of the organization. So this idea that you can have a group that's responsible for innovation was something that we always were very skeptical of, and we always wrestled with that. And I think you had plenty of academic research around innovators' dilemma, and the work of Clayton Christensen at Harvard really laid the groundwork for a lot of this, and rest in peace. Clayton Christensen, I think he did a lot for corporate America in really pulling back the veil on why it's difficult for large organizations to innovate. I think where there might have been some overreactions were creation of these very big innovation groups where at the very top of the organization, it was believed that, oh, now we have an innovation group. I guess now we're innovative and we can check that box. And I think that the reality is, at least in our experience, is that it's at the individual level. Time needs to pass before you can measure something as being innovative or not. And really the most sustainable, quote unquote, innovation is a deliberate evolution 
of how individuals that work for an organization make decisions and how they think about the potential outcomes of making those decisions. And so that's what we mean when we say teach to fish. And really the work that we do around innovation services from within New York Life Ventures, it's really a partnership with HR, a partnership with corporate communications. You know, it really needs to be embedded in how we think about a large organization. You know, and put another way, if there truly was going to be an innovation group that was responsible for innovation for the entire organization, you kind of have to make everybody work for that group. <laughs> you know, like it all needs to flow through that group. And obviously that's not the way that these would be stood up. So you need to have that messaging that it's okay. It's okay to take risks. It's okay to move quickly and move in ways that maybe feel non-traditional. That's okay. But I think at the same time, you need the grassroots. You need the bottoms up skill set. You need people to feel rewarded for risks. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's really striking to me about your response is just how well integrated New York Life Ventures is with the enterprise. And I don't know when the first time is that we spoke, but it has to be well over five years ago. And I think at that time, there was more of a sense of the autonomy of New York Life Ventures rather than the integration with the enterprise. So I'll let that stand for now. But I wanted to note that back in those days also, people were talking about whether InsureTech were a fad. And I guess they could look at New York Life Ventures as an affirmation. You've just passed your 10-year anniversary. I think what You've lasted longer than the Beatles now. People thought they were a fad. And, uh, <laughs> and you've even spoken about the next 10 years, but I understand you've passed some other notable milestones recently. Yes. Yeah, so the 10-year one is a big one for us, especially when we began and we had this, you know, it was viewed by some at the time as naive, this dream of being able to deliver both the financial as well as the strategic and trying to run a corporate venture unit that can really pull off both of those things at the same time. And you know, we learned a lot along the way, and we continue to this day, candidly, to refine our model here. And we learn a lot from others in the space and from our trusted network, which has been so important to us and our success are really the shoulders of our network and of the individuals that have given us advice along the way. But, you know, for me, I'd say the most proud, I mean, it might not seem like a big deal, but most proud really is the longevity and the fact that we are just getting started and the gratefulness of being on a platform as stable as New York Life with the leadership that's as committed to change and to moving in new directions that we have today, most corporate venture units don't last a terribly long time. You know, I remember the moment when I made the case that we needed to get into the corporate venture capital business and we had no exposure to venture and it was a good time and we had the right leadership at the time and I had the right mentors at the time to help me to succeed and to really give me the support, you know, to stand up what was really a brand new type of concept for the entire industry. But at the time, we were just very excited and wanted to pull off these two wins simultaneously. And we heard a lot of pushback. I remember doing research on it and learning that the half-life of corporate venture units is very brief and sort of asking a lot of questions as to why that was. And it's typically the response of a new change in the C-suite and wanting to be more innovative. So these groups get stood up and then there's change at the top and then these groups get shut down and then they get stood up and then they get shut down. And it leads to mistrust on the part of founders and other VC partners where they don't know that the capital is going to be there. They don't know that the partnership is going to be there. When you're a founder and you choose who to work with, you want somebody that's going to be around for a long time. So I think the reputation of CVCs as being a little bit of a fit and start type of initiative for most organizations was, unfortunately, there was data to support that feeling. We didn't want to be that. And some might view it as ironic, but you know, New York Life as a 177-year-old mutual insurance company, older than the dollar bill, is actually the perfect place to do venture investing. 
the stability, the patient capital, the long-term orientation, the commitment to core principles that have stood the test of time and we expect to continue to is a really good platform actually to do what we do. And I'm proud of the team and I'm proud of what we've created and the results that we had. We're past a billion in AUM to hit on a couple other milestones. As you mentioned, we've sourced over 3,000 startups at this point. We continue to drive a proof of concept test somewhere within New York life at a rate of one every two and a half weeks. And that's now been going on for over a decade. So those are all great milestones and great metrics. And I think as you look around and ask folks throughout the organization, I think we've had a pretty profound impact on certainly mindset shift, but also tangible value creation from partnering with early stage companies throughout the organization. You know, when we think about longevity, it makes me think about economic ups and downs. And we've seen some during the past 10 years, but we're also in a kind of, I don't know if parlous is too extreme an adjective, but we're in a very interesting time economically. This brings me back to a conversation you and I had in December of 2020. Now, this was, of course, in the wake of the pandemic that had emerged earlier that year. And I recall that you talked about fears of the economic downturn persisting to the point of potential capital crisis which is to say a shortage of available capital for investment endeavors like InsureTech. Now, rather than the economic situation being better, we see persistent inflation. We also see current economic effects of the war in Ukraine, and we can expect them to get worse during the winter. What does all this mean for InsureTech investment in general and from the perspective of New York Life Ventures in particular? I do recall that conversation. It was a great conversation, and we were in the throes of the global pandemic at the time. And I think at that time, there was some concerns. I was optimistic, if I recall, at that time, and I remain optimistic today. I think that the capital crunch issue is always a concern. I think in venture, it's less acute because you know most venture investors have reserves, and it's less of the ability. It's actually an expectation. That's just a core characteristic of the asset class is to raise capital and then deploy that capital slowly over multiple years. So just in terms of an asset class, it's one that's illiquid by nature, but your trade-off for that illiquidity is you're getting investments over a longer period of time in some companies that are traditionally difficult to access. So there is a smoothing to venture investing just because of the mechanics of how money gets put to work. But if there's a capital crisis, if there's significant dislocation that lasts for a long time, it could start to be painful where venture funds have trouble raising money. I think that from what I've heard from our friends, again, we invest purely New York Life's money, and there's a real strong commitment to continue to lean into the origination that we're able to do. So we're in many ways insulated from the pain. But my friends who are raising capital and some folks in our network who are raising capital right now, it's definitely a difficult environment. I think as asset holders are trying to really weigh the depth and the breadth and the potential pain here in the short term and the medium term and really pulling capital closer to the vest. It's a tough environment right now, flirting with potential recession and certainly massive correction in the equity markets and inflation moving and the war in Europe and energy prices going up. And obviously all those things affect how individuals think about deploying new investment dollars. For us in the venture space, as I mentioned, we were fortunate in that New York Life is a company that's really, you know, we use the term built for times like these, which is when we tend to shine our brightest when the days are the darkest. And 2021 was an unsustainable rate of activity. It was in terms of deals and certainly deal volume and the amount of valuation inflation that we witnessed as an industry was really very, very high and had a lot of crossover investors coming in that were really just trying to get access at all costs. And what that cost was, was oftentimes valuations that really weren't 
based in reality all that much. So I think from that perspective, it's been a welcome shift towards more this mindset of fear of missing out to try to get into the good deals and you'll pay anything to get in. And the founders saying, hey, trust me, I can get this done. This kind of shift from trust me on the part of the founders to show me on the part of the investor, I think is a good, healthy shift. It sounds as if you're saying that despite these hard times, there's a potential good side that can introduce a degree of discipline. I think we have seen what uh, Alan Greenspan called irrational exuberance in the insurtech field. We've seen a lot of money being kind of thrown at the problem. But it does seem as if there may be an upside in the form of discipline coming from the hard times. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. And I know it's something that we've always been committed to. And in some ways, having the advantage of having proprietary capital, we don't have a long list of LPs that we need to make sure we're putting money to work at a certain rate. We can be a lot more discerning. And again, we could be a lot more patient. But yeah, no, I think that's right. Specifically to InsureTech, the coalescence of talent as well as the remaining capital that's available in and of itself is very, very positive, I think, for our industry moving forward. Yeah. Having said that, then we might say, despite these headwinds, it seems like you anticipate the pace of innovation to continue. I mean, I might ask you, what do you anticipate in terms of both the pace and the volume of innovation in the life insurance industry in the near future? So we obviously follow the space very closely. We're a very large insurance player in the insurance industry. We're the number one now annuity writer in the country. And we've got a pretty powerful proprietary distribution force to the tune of 12,000 agents on the ground throughout the country. So obviously the innovation that we're seeing is really music to our ears or a delight for our eyes or whatever the expression could be there, Anthony. We do see a shift. Maybe one thing I'll share here is part of our thesis since the beginning really has been the opportunity for our industry is an opportunity first and foremost for us as a big old company as opposed to us being a big old company that happens to sell insurance. So I think we've started to see that play out in a much more meaningful way, where now you're seeing talent create much more bespoke solutions for our industry to enable the industry, as opposed to try to disrupt the industry. And I think that's been something that I'm thrilled that we were on point about, because I think it's really good for the entire industry. You know, we kind of talked about this shift from trying to disrupt, this shift from you don't need an agent and insurance is bought, not sold. And the experience isn't right. And the experience needs to be different. I think importantly, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. I think for some, that's absolutely true where you might want to purchase it very, very quickly. And I think that was really good for our industry. I think those innovative founders and many of them are my friends have created an aspiration for the entire industry of what the purchase experience should look like. And I think that's going to persist. I think that's going to be a really strong North Star that was created for our industry. And I think short of having individuals bring a spirit of disruption, I don't know that the industry would have created that as quickly if it was left to do it organically. So I think that's a very, very important takeaway. I do think, though, that the shift from a sole focus on disruption towards more of an enablement mindedness really marks what we're categorizing as the second wave here of InsurTech, which will just be marked by more general enablement across the value chain, more bespoke fit for purpose type technologies, and really entrepreneurs that are understanding the need and how they can grow very big businesses just by selling services to large organizations that are in deep need of acceleration and digitization across their organization. And then the other trend we see is really enabling the intermediary. 
So instead of disintermediating the intermediary in the form of either an agent or an RIA or an independent advisor, we're seeing a whole ecosystem of technologies that are being created to actually enable the distributor. So that's really nice to see as well. Yeah, I can't help thinking of Mark Twain saying that the news of his death had been greatly exaggerated. You called, meaning the insurance industry or the traditional insurance industry in this context, you speak about a second wave of insurtech. But those of us who've been around long enough, back at the dawn of e-commerce, we had what might be called the great disintermediation scare, where everybody thought, well, we don't need agents anymore, we'll just go direct, right? And what eventually happened was that those ambitions or fears, depending on your perspective, were chastened by the reality. And in fact, the internet became one of the most important tools historically for how carriers and distributors work together. So it's kind of reassuring to see this happen. Discipline in ideas and expectations, as well as a kind of financial discipline coming in. So I thought from that, I would ask you, what is happening? I mean, we're not going to go backwards. Innovation is going to continue to move forward at whatever pace and at whatever volume. So I thought I would ask, what will be some of the most important technologies for competitive differentiation in the life insurance industry in the near to midterm? I think there'll be a lot of them, Anthony, and I totally agree with your sentiment there. I think that we are at an important inflection point here with respect to innovation in the insurance industry. I think that you've got a few things. One, I think that there's some trends here that are worth highlighting. One, I think the opportunity at the intersection of insurance and technology is not a cottage industry. I think that there's a real acknowledgement there, and I think you've got a lot of capital still focused on that. And I think you've got a lot of very talented individuals that are understanding that there's value to be created by starting new companies. So I think we'll have a really good supply of companies focused on individuals, really focused on solving problems that are going to drive a lot of value for our industry. That's number one. Number two, the idea that the leaders at large incumbents somehow have their heads in the sand and are dismissing technology as a fad and this kind of caricature of some curmudgeon individual who's like, ah, kids these days, they just don't get it. Like that I think is gone. You know, again, I mean, maybe in the early days, there was a little bit of that, but that's not the case. Coming through COVID, like the eyes are wide open. Like we need to spend capital. We need to lean in. We need to move more quickly. We need to create the right experiences for our customers. We need to create the right experiences for our agents. Like This is not a debate. So that's very important because I think the individuals who are making the decisions and the boards are all on the same page, right? It's not like waving a wand, unfortunately, because there is a bit of a cultural shift that needs to happen. And again, I can't speak for every organization, but I couldn't be more energized at New York Life at just the commitment to continuing to move quickly. So I think you've got a really powerful supply-demand dynamic here that we can see over the next five to 10 years. And then specifically where we see the opportunities might not be as sexy as a disruptive direct-to-consumer life insurance app. We'll certainly see some of those continue to be built. But I think a lot of the value will be in more of the middle office, will be more in the harmonizing data, accessing better data sources, creating better pricing of a risk asset that's being put on the books, better analytical tools to analyze the risk assets that are already on the books, potentially different operating models for large organizations to create the right ability to test new things at scale. And if you think about other themes like underwriting, I think we're going to see a lot of innovation there. And then you just keep going all the way to the back office and how low-code, no-code is going to be used more, how businesses are going to be better enabled to reach insight at scale. Those walls will be broken down and 
technology will be much more embedded with the business. And I think all those trends will be really, really strong. And I think there'll be a lot of startups solving a lot of interesting things. And we're looking at a lot of them and we're investing in them today. And we expect to continue to see a nice pipeline moving forward. Very good. You know, I'm thinking about how when the insure tech movement was first getting started, I tended to think about it as a reaction by the insurance company's leadership as a kind of panic, not really knowing what to do because they were faced with this rapidly changing consumer demand and they didn't really know what to do. And they eventually started outsourcing their innovation through InsureTech. And one of the characteristics, it seemed to me, was kind of throwing money at the problem. And when New York Life Ventures emerged, and there have been other entities that have emerged since 2012, it was, I thought, a more disciplined way to approach investing in the problem. And I thought I'd invite you to make a statement about the validation of New York Life Ventures' mission as we look back 10 years as that kind of a thing, as a way of disciplining the investment process, entrepreneurs accessing innovation and coming up with a more disciplined way, not only of investing, but also of consuming innovation within the enterprise. We feel first and foremost grateful for standing on such high shoulders in the form of a very large, stable organization that's been super patient and very deep pockets when it comes to capital and really very committed to moving quickly and continuing to test new things. So it's been a really fertile environment. I think being able to really create our mission in a way that was aspirational in the form of trying to drive investment returns plus strategic value plus cultural value and being committed to figuring out the right way to bring all those things together and track our progress and try to drive progress and make sure that we're acknowledging those who have helped us along the way and continuing to nurture our network. I think that's the best takeaway for me is, you know, that we've been able to create an aspirational model. We've been able to build the team and the function and the individuals and the support throughout the organization to be able to get it done. And then probably most importantly, that our model has resonated out in the ecosystem. That's where it begins and ends, right? So this idea of being here and not going anywhere might sound like a minor thing, but I think that landed very well. And I think that served us extremely well in terms of reputation. We might not be winning every deal by being the first with a term sheet, but we're measured in our views. We've got longevity. We've got optimism. We've got perspective on the industry and we're transparent and we're honest. And I think those things, they sound like glib statements, but that's what we're committed to. And I think that's kind of played out really well in us creating our relationship network. I'm an analogy guy and we talk a lot about where we sit and the analogy I come back to a lot, if you'll indulge me here, is if you think about New York life as planet Earth, we're a satellite. We're very much in the gravitational pull of the planet. We're in constant communication with the planet, but we're just closer to the ever-expanding universe. And we're more eyes out as opposed to eyes in. We're very fortunate to occupy that space on behalf of a firm like New York Life. Again, I think there's going to be plenty of exciting things that continue to happen out in space to stick with the metaphor there, Anthony. But we say the next 10 is going to be greater than the last 10 is kind of our mantra here at New York Life Ventures that we were talking about when we celebrated our 10-year milestone. And I really believe that. Yeah, I think I would add to your list of adjectives, patient. I'm not going to say slow and steady, but slower and steadier. Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, look, if you think back to the roots of venture, and again, I wasn't there. But this is more through friends and through research. But, you know, people had their sleeves rolled up to their shoulders and funds would have been considered tiny in modern terms because 
you couldn't put too much money to work because that would mean you wouldn't have the ability to get involved. You wouldn't have the ability to have a positive impact on solving the problems. And I think what we've seen, and to a certain extent, we still see. I mean, I hope that this continues to evolve, but we see very transactional, financially oriented slots on term sheets for exposure, as opposed to having a situation where you're bringing more than money to the table. We've always been committed to that. I think that in and of itself does imply the point you just made, right? I think it is more of a patience, but also more of a prudent allocation of your time to the areas where you think that you can have the most impact. Well, Joel, it's been great catching up with you, and I congratulate you on 10 years of success, and I wish you the best over the next decade. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Perspective always helps in understanding the challenges of the moment we're living. This conversation with Joel was a great reminder of all the industry-changing innovation that's been achieved in the past 10 years since New York Life Ventures was founded, and what's likely to come during the next decade. I appreciated hearing Joel's positive yet very grounded outlook, and I look forward to seeing what innovations he and his team invest in over the next 10 years and beyond. Thank you for joining us for the Life Accelerated podcast. For more relevant content to help you achieve digital transformation, visit equisoft.com slash lifeaccelerated.com.